1: And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Pilato, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We have Paul Coppinger, who is the president of Weir Oil & Gas. But first, I want to talk to you about our latest issue of Shale Magazine, in which our cover is Sarah Ortwine, who is the president of XTO Energy. Of course, a company, an energy company that's based in beautiful Houston, Texas. This is definitely an issue that you don't want to miss. And we were actually pretty happy and proud to have her on the cover um, as there's just not a lot of women executives uh, in the energy sector. And so we were able to tell her story, talk about the great company XTO, as well as um, just kind of introducing uh, our listenership and our fan base to xto the energy company so be sure to go to shale that's dot com. again that's shellmag.com to read the story in its entirety and now it's time to bring on the editor of shell magazine david blackman david welcome to this week's show
2: Hey, it's another beautiful day in Texas.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, but uh, I wanted to jump into oil prices again, David, just because you know there's been so much fluctuating in the market. I think there's great, great uncertainty of where we're going with oil. So let's start with, you know, we were at forty-two dollars a barrel uh, for the first time this year, and WTI's price has gone up by twenty-five percent since then. So can we? Can can we expect that this trend will continue on oil prices to go upward north now?
2: Yeah, uh, you know, it fits and starts. I mean, it's 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 never a straight line progression with oil prices, but yeah, we've gone from forty two to fifty two or thereabouts uh, since since January first, and and that's good. Uh, the WTI price, and uh, I do think that you know, with the steps that OPEC has taken and Saudi Arabia announcing that it's going to cut its January production all the way down to 7.1 million barrels a day. That's really stimulated the market and I think uh, put us well on track to rebalancing supply and demand. And the market sees that, and so there's been upward pressure on the price. I still am cautious, though. I don't think you know, we're going to see the price shooting up to $70, 75 again in the first half of the year. I still don't don't really think WTI will get much above 60, if at all, above 60 uh, in the first six months of this year. But overall, you know, the, the movement is encouraging.
1: Very interesting. Um, let's switch gears and talk about Permian Basin. They just continue to set record after record. Uh, and uh, you had an interesting note on Twitter this week that showed just how amazing the production from this region is now. So tell us a little bit about what your findings are.
2: Yeah, uh, there was a Bloomberg article that caught my eye on uh, Tuesday, I think it was, that uh, had an EIA projection, uh, you know, from the Energy Information Administration, projecting that the Permian Basin would produce uh, 3.8 million barrels of oil per day in January. That's that caught my eye because that number st- stuck in my brain somewhere, and I went and looked up historic U.S. crude production, and sure enough. Uh, Overall, U.S. production bottomed out in September of 2008. uh, And the number we produced that month, the average we produced each day that month nationwide, was 3.8 million barrels of oil per day. The whole country. And now, this month, we're producing that much crude oil just from the Permian Basin in West Texas and southeast of Mexico. That's just a stunning Number that no one foresaw, and it's just uh, you know, just uh, indicative of the amazing resource that's out there.
1: Well, you know, David, we—I just returned from Austin, in which I attended the governor's ball. A uh, very, very nice ball. Definitely uh, an event that uh, is worth uh, going to every year. Uh, this uh, governor's ball, the entertainment was George Strait, and just
2: oh man, I hate that I missed it. It was a
1: great ball this this uh, this time around. But I, I wanted to ask you about the Republican leadership as well. Um, the Texas House of Representatives this week proposed a whopping seventeen percent. Increase in the educational funding for the next two years in the budget, and my question is: We always talk about on the show the rainy day fund, the severance taxes that are being collected from oil and gas, and how how the community Texas citizens uh, benefit. So here's the question: Would it be possible for them to put this increase for education funding if it were not for the oil and gas industry?
2: No, I mean obviously not. The uh, oil you know, and gas yes, industry is is biggest driver of the Texas economy and has been for a long time and um, you know it's it's wonderful that there's going to be an increase in education funding because it you know the the increases were very minimal in fact it was reduced in the 2011 session uh, in real terms and then has been increased you know uh, somewhat since then but uh, there's a lot of catching up to do in education funding here in Texas. And, and, you know, it's it's all driven by, by the boom of oil and gas here in the state, uh, which just, you know, creates so much economic impact and generates, uh, you know, not just severance taxes, but sales taxes and property taxes and just, you know, and increases incomes of millions of Texans uh, every day. And so it's, uh, you know, it's a big driver of the economy. The, the people in the legislature know it. The Texas comptroller, Glenn Hager, Told them all about it uh, the second day of the session, uh, and gave the, the industry great credit for the current good economic times. And uh, thank goodness the Permian Basin's out there, and Eagle Ford, the Barnett, shale, and all these other you know gigantic resources that we have under the ground here in Texas. Uh, and, and it's put us in a, probably the strongest, honest to goodness, the strongest economic position. Uh, the state of Texas has ever been in and and that's just a great thing for everybody here in the state.
1: And you know uh, briefly Texas is very unusual and we're one of the only, or very, very, w- w- maybe one other state kind of sets up their tax system uh, by revenue coming from oil and gas. There's other areas that they're drilling in the shell plays as well, and they're not as fortunate uh, as Texas is. Um, they have things structured kind of incorrectly, which gives, me a thought of hey maybe you should look and see what texas is doing and follow suit because there's a lot of uh revenue coming into the state from oil and gas uh what are some of the troubling shell plays if you will that that uh, could take a lesson or two from our texas elected officials
3: well
2: you know colorado is the obvious example you know they have the gigantic uh shell play up there the dj basin uh, that is incredibly rich in both oil and natural gas and uh, you know, every every year, uh, activists up there bring some ballot initiative to put on the statewide ballot to try to limit or eliminate the industry up there. And uh, just this past week, we saw the uh, House of Representatives, uh, there's a bill proposed in the House of Representatives that would heavily regulate the industry in a way that would pretty much kill it. Uh, it probably won't pass, but you know that kind of thing is going on in that state uh louisiana has a governor that uh you know does not really appreciate the industry and uh is working hard to uh put a lot of lot of good people out of business over in that state and that's that's a shame because yeah again it's a state with incredible resources um oklahoma has had a, a problem uh you know stimulating its industry over the years it's it's done so in stops and starts and uh They've raised taxes on the industry each of the last two years, and now it's really not real competitive with Texas or some of the other surrounding states. And so they're losing rate count up there. And, um, you know, just uh, the companies that produce here in Texas are uh, lucky to be here. Uh, it, it's a it's a state that appreciates the industry, has is always, is always uh, had it in, in this state. And... Uh, The public officials are careful not to harm it in any way that's unreasonable.
1: Now, there was um, a ruling that came down from the Colorado Supreme Court uh, that kind of struck down uh, some legislation that was trying to be passed that was over-regulating that state. And uh, it it was pretty much determined that there shouldn't be uh, a person coming in and trying to pass legislation that would actually harm uh, the industry in the way that they were trying to do, which was limit the drilling, and of course that would gone that would have gone on to other states as well had it passed. So, it's, so it was good to see that uh, the Supreme Court uh, over there saw that this was somebody coming in uh, a, a third party uh, company that had a vested interest in making sure that uh, they they kept it in the ground, if you will, um, and of course they lost that that uh, hearing, and so it's permanent and final.
2: Yeah, it's good to have that that case wrapped up because it's been kind of hanging over the industry's head for several years now, and uh, had it gone the other way, it would have really uh, depressed the, the industry there more than it already is, so it was... Uh, Good decision by the Supreme Court. Um, we'll just have to wait and see if the plaintiffs uh, appeal it to federal court.
1: Yes. Well, David, that is all the time we have for this week. Look forward to having you back next week, in which we'll be talking more oil and gas and, of course, a little bit of politics.
2: Great. I'll look forward to it.
1: And with that, we do have to take a quick break. And you're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: In the Oil Patch Radio Show is proud to bring you this week's Energy Minute, produced by
3: shalemag.com. Here's Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your current industry update. This is Texas Railroad Commissioner Ryan Sitton with your Energy Minute. The United States had 1,075 drilling rigs in operation last week, which was the same as the week before. Texas had 532 of those rigs, two lower than the prior week. The Texas Railroad Commission issued 389 drilling permits last week, which brought the 10-week rolling average Average to 269 Natural gas prices averaged $3 per mm BTU and average WTI prices jumped up $4.33 to $50.96 per barrel as oversupply concerns are beginning to fade. This jump has had little effect on gasoline prices as the average gallon of gas in Texas cost $1.92 last week while the U.S. averaged $2.23 a gallon. Yesterday, a report was published about a new survey of Canadians that found that over 60% of the country believes that the oil and gas industry is the most critical to the country and that it is currently in a crisis due to a lack of pipelines. Over the past few years, Canadian environmental pushes have slowed development, putting a massive constraint on new construction and on access to the country's oil. Now they are feeling the pinch. WTI closed yesterday at $52.05 per barrel.
0: Listen to In the Oil Patch Radio and keep up with the oil and gas industry online at shalemag.com.
1: Plan your next meeting or event at Victoria College's Emerging Technology Complex, home to the -the state-of-the-art Conference and Education Center, conveniently located between Houston and Corpus Christi. The center hosts meetings, educational workshops, and banquets for up to 300 people with the latest in technology amenities and ample parking. Let their professional meeting planners make your next event a success. For more information, go to conferenceinvictoria.com. Once again, that's conferenceinvictoria.com. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellato, and today we have a great guest on the line, Paul Coppinger, who is the president of We're Oil & Gas. Paul, welcome to In the Oil Patch.
4: No, it's great to be back.
1: You know, we uh, were not able to catch up with you at OTC, but you had some exciting uh, announcements on products, and so I'm looking forward to to getting into that with you uh, here in the show. But first, I want to introduce you to, of course, our listeners. Um, you currently are the president of Weir Oil & Gas, which is based out of Fort Worth, and you've held that position since January 2015. But I want to go back a little bit and tell me you you're not uh, a newbie when it comes down to uh, your role. So where have you been in the past, and what kind of led you to being the president of Weir Oil and Gas?
4: No, absolutely, yeah. I'm a, I'm a fairly seasoned veteran in the oil and gas industry. I've been in it for about thirty four years now. Uh, degree in petroleum engineering from Texas Tech, and. Uh, Went to work in the oil field at Baker Hughes back before it was even Baker Hughes. (laughs) So a lot of my career was spent out in the field and and in in technical services, uh, in later management with Baker Oil Tools, and later became part of the bigger Baker Hughes. Um, Did that for many years, and, and then the other probably big part of my career was in the valve industry with Circor International. Uh, before coming to Weir in 2011, which, which, which I started out as the president of pressure pumping, and then, as you said, took over as the division president um, in late 2014, early 2015. So, yeah, I've been in the oil and gas, upstream oil and gas industry, for about 34 years now and, um, you know, really enjoying it. Uh, obviously, the, the cyclical nature of it keeps you on your toes, but uh, we're certainly enjoying a nice uh, bit of a recovery now in North America for sure.
1: Excellent. Well, and and that brings me to the culture. And uh, I believe that leadership is probably the most vital thing that really determines how well a company is run. And culture is extremely important, especially in this day and age when there are so many different companies that uh, are vying for uh, employees. What is the culture like at Weir?
4: You know, I think it's something we're most proud of. Um, you know, we really spend a lot of time together working, and so we, we treat each other with, uh, with respect. We have a set of values that we follow. You know, I would say at are that, that the values are the, one, some of the most important part of our culture. I think people that are successful at we are, have very strong values. I think people that maybe don't fit at WEIR uh, have, been, have left WEIR more because of the values than because of any financial performance issue. I mean, we're a very financially disciplined company and we, we set up expectations and we try to meet those expectations, but I would say that we, we hold the values very high and I think the, the key when we look at bringing people into WEIR, whether it's an intern or a graduate or whether it's someone we're just hiring, you know, to try to move someone in that's in, you know, that's already in their career. We spend a lot of time on, is it a values match, uh, as well as a performance match. And so I think that's part of the reason I think people enjoy coming to work at Weir and and like to stay at Weir um, because of those values. And I think part of those values, you mentioned leadership. It's around style uh, we, we tend to, we allow people, we challenge people, but we allow people to run their businesses. We allow people some autonomy, uh, make, make mistakes, move on. Um, and I think people just appreciate that.
1: Well, I think that it is important. If you feel valued where you work, you want to work harder. So I, I completely agree with you. And if it sounds like that is the culture as well, you know, the past, um, couple of, uh, months so well actually all of these past couple of months and the prior year uh and the year before that has really been a big downward turn i want to know how did we do in the downward turn
4: you know we're we're just a great company with regard to the ups and downs i mean our our core industries are the mining industry which is commodity based and of course the oil and gas industries which is commodity based so we we tend to operate uh, very conservatively from a balance sheet point of view, and so we tend to look at things. Um, even though we enjoy the upturns, we tend to always are planning for the downturn and making sure we've got a strong balance sheet, we don't overextend ourselves. And that was the, the thing that happened is, is this began to turn down at the end of '14? You know, we'd had some very, very good years, but we, we, had, we had prepared ourselves that it was going to come. Uh, when it when it did come we acted very quickly Uh, unfortunately you know we had to cut a lot of costs like everybody did but because of the the health of the overall company we were able to to weather that downturn i think also you know in some cases because we're a little more diverse than some of our competitors we've got a, a mining business and also an oil and gas business that mining business uh you know was a little more stable and so from a corporation point of view uh, that helps a little bit as well as opposed to just being hundred percent oil and gas. Um, so that helped us somewhat. But I think uh, you know again we, we are in a cyclical business, businesses <laughs> and uh, you know we tend to, to to do well during the up times but we don't overdo ourselves or overextend ourselves during the good times to make sure that we're prepared for those cycles that, that may come along.
1: Excellent. Now we uh, are going to take a quick break, but when we return, Paul, I want to uh, get your opinion on there's a lot of discussion right now in oil and gas on the tariffs that um, are being put on by uh, President Trump. And I want to get your opinion when we return on how uh, you see the industry being affected and is this going to affect personally where oil and gas as well. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
0: Agreco has been powering the Permian Basin for over 10 years, supporting Permian producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. Agreco supports power systems as small as a single 200 kilowatt to as large as a 50 megawatt power plant. So when your utility power is delayed, call on Agreco to engineer a diesel, natural gas, or battery solution to fit your needs. We have immediate availability right here in the Permian Basin. Call 1-800-AGRECO or online agreco.com.
5: The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy.
0: Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag,
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Paul Coppinger, president of We Are Oil and Gas. Paul, before the break, um, there's a lot of discussion going on right now if you're in oil and gas, especially in the service area. I think there's a lot of anxious people on how... Much of an impact the tariffs are going to have uh, pertaining to oil and gas, especially considering that it hasn't been too long that the oil and gas started to recover from, um, you know, this downward turn that has been uh, plaguing the industry for quite some time. So give me your opinion. Where do you think the tariffs will hit? And are you concerned at all as well?
4: Well, sure. I mean, I mean, all, all of us, I suppose, as Americans, we want to have fair trade around the world and we want to be able to operate freely uh, in, in the world as far as trading, but we also want to have fair, fair trading partners, I suppose. So, um, yeah, I I mean, the the tariffs will have some effect and, and we're, you know, looking at those and preparing those. I think if you look at most companies, whether it's we're or my competitors or customers, um, you know, we are global businesses. And so we have raw materials that come from all parts of the world. Some come from the U.S., some from Canada, some come from China, uh, Europe, and so whenever you have these things going on, it can, you know, it can really begin to affect you, um, and 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 you have to start looking at okay, what's a 20 or 25 percent tariff going to do to some raw material that I'm currently buying from company from country X or country Y, um, and and that's not just you know China seems to be what's making the news right now but you know there's a little bit of back and forth going on between the U.S. and Canada right now and Mexico and so uh, all those things um, whether we're exporting material to one of our branches in Canada that that could be affected or whether it's bringing in raw material from Europe or from the Far East those things can be affected and so absolutely it will have an impact and in the short term you you, you have to you know, hope that you can recover some of it on pricing. And in the longer term, you know, there's probably a balance of some recovery on pricing. And in some cases, you may have to shift your supply chain. Um, I don't think any of us are wanting a global trade war. Um, I don't care what industry you're in. You know, we're all hoping that these are all ways that countries can, you know, they negotiate with each other. and, And sometimes, you know, those can seem a little bit, ugly and disjointed at times, but we're hoping in the end, you know, the United States and other countries reach agreements uh, on on fair trade.
1: Well, I, I want to change gears just a little bit because I think that some of the... Uh Technologies that are being involved may also come into play of assisting, maybe not so much where the tariffs are, but I believe that if you have a company that is taking advantage of new technologies that are coming online that may streamline or may uh, help the company be more efficient, uh, especially in areas where they're putting out a lot of money um, and you can simplify that, you actually are obviously going to do a lot better. So you introduced some of the technology at OTC this year. And uh, so I just wanted to briefly cover those. Um, one of the new systems that you all have created is the simplified frack iron system. Can you tell me a little bit about what it's designed to do um, and how it can help the operator?
4: Yeah, that's that's a great one. Yeah, we, you know, it was it was dominant in our display booth at OTC. And not only, um, you know, we're one of, the, one of the few companies that that operate kind of at, across the entire frack pad, whether it's close to the, to the frack pumps or at the wellhead. And so we've been designing a large bore, um, one, one single line system that um, reduces the, the numbers of connections, the, the number of smaller lines that you have, the amount of time and manpower that it takes to rig all that up and rig it down, the amount of leak paths that there are that sometimes slow a job down or stop a job. And we've been testing that sort of in two phases in the field. So we've been testing the, the large-bore tree and, and single-line system that connects to the zipper for, for almost a year now, And we just began rolling out the upstream portion of that that connects all the frack pumps together, uh, that then moves the slurry downstream to the zipper and and to the other systems that we've been testing. So we're now, uh, you know, we've pretty much fully tested the components of this system. And it's all really about safety, quality, efficiency, reducing time, reducing manpower, reducing the the number of people that have to handle things, the number of... uh, Joints and connections that might leak or come loose during a frack job. So all that adds up to our customers' ability to more efficiently drill and complete these unconventional wells in North America.
1: And, you know, when when we come back, we're going to to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to get into a little bit more of the discussion about I think the perception is that oil and gas is not as technical. And I want to get back into how in just the last five years, how much you've seen efficiency grow in this area. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
6: The Texas Energy Advocates Coalition is teaming up with the future of the region, South Texas, to bring you Capital Day. Meet us in Austin, Texas on February 11th, 2019 in front of the Texas Capitol building at 12 p.m. noon. We will have a chartered bus for advocates to ride for free from Corpus through San Antonio up to Austin with two pickup points along the way. Visit txenergyadvocates.com slash capital or futureregionstx.org slash capital for more information. Oil-filled Experts is the only place you need to go to locate any part, any time for your automotive or oil equipment needs. Specializing in hard-to-find oil-filled parts for your fleet maintenance needs, oil-filled experts have been providing parts and accessories to keep your tools turning since 1965. From the auto repair shop to the pump jack, call us to get the right part right now. Here's the number, so write it down. Oil-filled experts, 210-471-1923. Again, that's 210-471-1923.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Paul Coppinger, president of Weir Oil and Gas. And Paul, before the break, you were kind of discussing some of the newer technology that your company, Weir, is is producing to, of course, streamline and make the whole uh you know, oil and gas sector more efficient, especially in the areas of the operators. And you all have some new products that are coming out. We talked about um, your simplified frack iron system, but you guys also announced at OTC the pressure controlling intelligence system as well. Talk to me a little bit about your pressure control it, intelligence system.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think like every other every other industry, we're going through this digital revolution and You know, whereas the oil field um, was very, you know, they were okay with manual measurements and in some cases fairly crude ways of, of, you know, measuring certain things and monitoring certain things. I think the digitization of the world is now creating opportunities where uh, things that were done manually in the past that may not have been very safe or the accuracy wasn't very good. We're seeing that the technology has brought us uh, methods to be able to to digitize that, have condition monitoring on our equipment. I mean, you mentioned uh, some of the things we're doing in our pressure control business on the drilling side and the frack flowback side, where we've got monitoring and control systems that actually monitor the level of drilling mud in a mud gas separator and and give operators a, a very, very quick indication of a problem before it's too late. Uh, in, without some of these early warning systems, um, you know, if, some, if, if people weren't really paying close attention or something, somebody forgot to look in a tank or something like that, you could all of a sudden be in a situation where you've got mud going all over a location and potentially you know, have a gas blowout or something. So that's one example. The other example is measuring the amount of gas that, that's being flared in a drilling operation uh you know we used to we'd have to manually look up and kind of measure standing 50 feet away measure the length and time that a flame is burning and now we have much more sophisticated ways of measuring the amount of gas that might be vented into the air and so that we can help reduce that and we can help monitor how much is going in the air so those are just a couple of examples where i think the digital world is helping us in the oil and gas industry be smarter, be more efficient, be more uh, environmentally conscious about what's going on. Uh, I think the last example I might give is on our in our pressure pumping side, on our flow iron. Our customers have thousands and thousands of pieces of high pressure flow iron that have to be managed. They have to be to make sure they're monitored, inspected, repaired, on a periodic basis, and so you have to keep track of serial numbers and all kinds of things. And we've introduced an RFID system where, rather than having to go and write down serial numbers and things, you can just scan that with a wand, and that really helps our customers as well. So again, it's this digital capability that um, I think is helping the oil and gas industry, just like it is every other industry.
1: That's true, but I think that there's, in my mind, when I look at it, you look at a rig site and it's so uh, it's placed so far away from everything uh, and so it, it's a really it had been in the past very manual um, and everything when you think about what it takes to get the crude or natural gas out it's a lot of work in between and anything that we see that is being uh, digitally done uh, to uh, create better systems in place is is, is well first of all amazing to see that happening, seeing how it's so rural where these people are. Some of the technology that's being used for these companies, can you give me some like examples of what you're seeing? How is it really benefiting them? Is it just in an efficient way? Is it financially a better return for them? And are there any operators that you're seeing that are really taking advantage of this?
3: Well,
4: yeah, it's not just things that we're provides. I think probably some of the, the, the biggest technology advances have been on the directional drilling. You know, being able to, to use, you know, downhole sensors and other mechanisms to be able to really be very accurate when you, you know, you're drilling now down in these horizontal wells where you may be drilling down a mile and you may be drilling horizontally for two miles. And it's very, very important that that, that drill is directed very accurately. And that's probably some of the most sophisticated technology that we have in the industry. And that's really revolutionized. Uh, our, our ability to complete these shell wells that, that have to be, you know, have to have very, very long sections of horizontal uh, uh, well bore that we wouldn't have been able to do this before. Um, you know, and, and so that, that's really one area. I think the other area that's so significant on the efficiency of the drilling process is these, the new drilling rigs that are now operating where. Uh, You know, instead of having, when you have to move to another well, rather than have to rig the entire rig down, take all the pipe out of the derrick, uh, and then, you know, almost deconstruct the rig, move it, and reconstruct it, you now have rigs that almost move uh, with everything in place, and they can literally crawl over to another well, and you're back up and running very quickly. So those are just two examples. There's not necessarily even things we're does that I think have been significant in helping North America and the world be a little more efficient in getting oil and gas out of the ground.
1: Excellent. Well, we are going to take a quick break, Paul. But when we return, I want to get into uh, the future of the Shell Plays and get your opinion on how Shell Plays will continue to handle as the end of the year approaches us. But we do have to take a quick break. You are listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
6: Do you have burning questions about the oil and gas industry in the oil patch host kim bilatto will be hosting a live show with john tentera president and chief of staff of the texas alliance of energy producers send your questions to radio at shalemag.com that's radio at shalemag.com. we'll have a live telephone line on the air so be sure to send an email to radio at shalemag.com and we'll send you the call-in number
5: the vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy.
1: And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is the president of where Oil & Gas, Paul Coppinger. And Paul, before the break, um, I wanted to get your opinion. You certainly are a very seasoned veteran when it comes down to being in the oil and gas business. And uh, there's a lot of discussion on the future of the shell producers in the United States. Um, and obviously, there's quite a few different shell plays going on in the United States. I want your opinion on what do you see for the end of the year? Uh, Permian Basin is a big play going on right now. There's discussion that that might slow down a little bit. Eagle Ford, there's the Bakken. So what do you see from now until the end of the year for the Shell Place?
4: Well, for, first of all, I, I'm very bullish and optimistic on unconventional uh, as a general rule. I mean, we've proven in North America, whether it's oil or natural gas, that we can uh, be competitive with pretty much any place in the world as far as our ability to drill and complete these wells. Um, and so I'm optimistic about it to begin with. Yes, are there going to be areas that, like the Permian, where you've got some infrastructure issues, but those problems are going to be solved. So even if we see some level of, I would call it, a slight tapping of the brakes, maybe a few, you know a few operators here and there redeploying a little bit until we can get those infrastructure issues Solved? Yeah, absolutely. You're going to see that. We, we, you know, we've had those some of those same challenges in the Bakken where you've had to use railroads or trucks, and you know, you eventually get pipelines put in, and the Permian will solve these problems. Um, you know, I think it, from a global point of view, uh, you know, we're we're operating now where the world needs about 100 million barrels of liquid you, liquid a day. And that, that is growing at about 1.5 million barrels per day per year, if you look at most estimates. And conventional oil and gas drilling is declining at 3 or 4 million barrels a day. So, you know, it, you know even with OPEC coming out with their announcement the other day that they're going to increase uh, their production by six or 700,000 barrels, uh, you know, you don't re- you see a collapse of the oil price. You haven't seen a collapse of the oil price, even with some of the news in the Permian, because there's a pretty good balance going on between supply and demand. And so we're going to solve the oil and gas industry will solve the Permian issue. Could there be some temporary tapping of the brakes? But I think it's just more of a slowing of the growth as opposed to this some turnaround that, you know, would cause us to go back into some some level of depression like we were in 15 and 16.
1: Well, are there any innovations that we can expect from where?
4: Um, well, we're well. We're going to continue to innovate. You know, I think I think some of the things that we're learning in North America, we're obviously improving on those, and we're taking those around the world. I mean, we've got a lot of equipment that's going into Argentina now. Uh, clearly, Russia is continuing to develop some of their unconventional. Um, I think there'll be other areas, uh, China, for example, that will do that. But but yeah, we're. I mean, pretty as I've maybe said before to you on our previous um, interview a few months ago. Um, I think almost every R&D project that we have going on, whether it's in pressure control or pressure pumping, is, has something to do with improving the efficient safety, quality, or efficiency of the unconventional drilling and completion operation. And so some of those, you know, we've already talked about today. We'll, probably the next time we talk, I'll, ha- I'll have some more, actually, that we can talk about. So, yeah, I think, I think we will have more. Um, and I think as you see this uh, uh, as you see this evolve, I think we'll continue to push the the cost of of unconventional downward, and I think it'll be competitive for many many years to come.
1: Now, uh, one question I have before we leave is there is a huge buzzword floating around everywhere, which is blockchain. And we've attended a couple of conferences in which blockchain is uh, looking like it's going to make an entrance into the oil and gas sector. Uh, Do you see we're looking at blockchain right now? Is that uh, something that is interesting to you guys as a company or are you waiting to see a couple of other companies utilize it before y'all start taking advantage of blockchain. What's your opinion on blockchain in the oil and gas sector?
4: Well, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on it, but, but the good news is our, our chief technology officer, Geetha DeBeer, who has a, has a long history of being in technology, You know, worked at Intel and other Silicon Valley companies. She is a, a fairly proficient expert on the subject matter. We're watching it closely to see if there's an opportunity for us to take advantage of that, of that uh, in the future.
1: Great. Last question before we go. You are a part of the Petroleum Equipment and Service Association, and uh, we're a member as well. Can you quickly talk to me about some of the things you guys are doing? It's a great organization, and I wanted to highlight it as well.
4: Absolutely. I've been I've been a board member there since 2007. I've been a chairman twice, and I'm still on the board. And I'm chairman of the finance committee this year. Um, You know, we that is such a great organization under the leadership of our president, Leslie Byer,
1: who, by the way, has been on our cover before. (laughs) So We love Leslie.
4: I was the chairman when we hired Leslie. We are so proud of the work that she's doing. Uh, She has she has enhanced, I think, every aspect of PISA, uh, particularly, I think, in the area of engagement with our with our local, state and federal government. Our our voice, the collective voice of the service industry, I think previously we had underestimated how powerful we really are and how many employees we have in so many different jurisdictions and congressional districts and things, and she's really taken that to the next level. Uh, That's been wonderful. I think she's also starting to lead us to have international outposts. Uh, For the last couple of years, she's been leading delegations to, to the Middle East and having our outpost meetings in Dubai and Abu Dhabi, uh, also Mex- the Mex- Mexico task force. So uh, we couldn't be prouder of the work that she's doing, uh, both in local, state, and federal government. Our, our international efforts, uh, and and obviously the things that we continue to do in conjunction with the IPAA around education uh, for our high school students in Houston, Fort Worth, and in West, West Texas. So. Uh, I couldn't be prouder of PISA. And I'm glad, glad you asked the question. I'm always happy to uh, to brag on that organization.
1: Well, we like PISA too. We like to see that they are uh, getting a lot of things accomplished with such a small little team. But um, Leslie is a great and dynamic woman and, and uh, she certainly does a great job over there at PISA. Paul, that is all the time that we have for this show. And we do look forward to catching up with you possibly a little bit later on in the year and uh, getting us an update on what we're oil and gas are doing. But until next time, Thank you for being a guest on our show.
4: It's great to be with you
1: guys. Well, thanks again, Paul, for being a guest on today's show. And congratulations, because you're going to be the topic of today's trivia question. Hey, be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shalemag.com. Again, that's radio at shalemag.com. And you will have a chance to win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Today's question is, what is the company that Paul Coppinger is the president of? Be the first person to email the correct answer to this trivia question to radio at shellmeg.com and you will have a chance to win a $75 gift certificate to Fogo de Chao, the amazing Brazilian steakhouse. Well, that's all the time that we have for this show, but please be sure to like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash patch. Or follow us on Twitter at ShellMag. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G. And if you have any questions for me, or if you have questions on oil and gas, I encourage you to email me at radio at shellmag.com. That's going to wrap up another great show. See you next week with more exciting news and insightful interviews. Until then adios.
0: In the Oil Patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.